0: For the next sixty minutes, discovering jazz. Sure,
1: I mean everyone knows the difference between Beethoven's ninth and it ain't don't mean a thing if it ain't got (laughs) swing. But even Beethoven would probably agree it don't mean a thing (laughs) if (laughs) it ain't got swing.
0: Today, classical versus jazz and its cross-pollination, featuring special guest Peterborough jazz saxophonist and raconteur Al Bags. Right now, we're listening to one of Al's favorite versions of the old Duke Ellington standard, It Don't Mean a Thing If It Ain't Got That Swing, by Scotland's Alex Welsh Jazz Band. <laughs> I had a delightful discussion with Al Bags at his kitchen table, talking for close to two hours about classical music, jazz, and the relationship between them. So many gems of information, inspiration, and droll British humor. It will be fodder for a few programs in the future, but today you'll get some idea of how classical and jazz music cross-pollinate or fertilize each other. So, to start... What are the main differences between jazz and classical? I asked that question of Al Baggs. In terms of the compositions, his thesis is basically that there isn't much difference, as many of the great jazz composers have classical roots, and there are also qualities of what we call small-c classical music, which is any music that is most often referred to as serious music that are employed in jazz compositions. In terms of the playing, on the other hand, there does seem to be one fundamental difference. He quotes the famous and very eclectic violinist Lucia Micarelli as he talks about the distinction.
1: Before we talked talked about getting together on this, I mentioned to you the the American violinist uh, Lucia uh, Micarelli, and she was talking on um, PBS very recently about her uh, her respect for classical. Uh, in its loosest meaning um, and jazz music and as she sees it the classical musician's mindset is to prepare and to perfect, I'm quoting her exactly here uh, in order to meet the performance moment whereas jazz musicians practice in order to maximize their abilities to be present in the moment uh, and express themselves in the moment, you know so, to expand on miss Micarelli's theme, i think uh, let 's say that um, symphonic and, and like musicians um, study and practice so they can interpret and flawlessly reproduce uh, the ideas of composers, uh, whereas jazz players practice in order to develop and present their own ideas I think Makes we sense. can we, we can agree to that you yep. know. And 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 or to put food on their table, which all musicians are, are happy to do, you know, jazz or classical or country or rock or whatever. God bless them. Anyway, Lucia reckons that the classical and jazz scores inform and uh, affect or cross fertilize each other uh, in many different ways, and imaginative composers have. Um, contributed in in, inestimably to uh, both to the foundations and the evolution of jazz music uh, and jazz musicians have wholeheartedly engaged uh, in the cross-pollination process um, using great compositions as springboards uh, uh, for for improvisational creativity but you know if we gaze into a crystal ball if not a, a telescope um perhaps we can see that the frontier between classical and jazz music is becoming more and more blurred. Part of our discussion was on what has been termed
0: third stream jazz, which refers to jazz influenced by classical music. Its precursor was what has been called cool jazz. But Al believes that much of this music came before the term cool jazz was adapted in 1953, and that Duke Ellington was one of the exponents of both cool jazz and third stream jazz.
1: Cool jazz leads into third stream, but Ellington was pushing it. And and we hear an example of this in this wonderful performance by the um, by the alto saxophone virtuoso who played with the Ellington Orchestra for years uh, Johnny Hodges
0: So you're quite the Johnny Hodges fan
1: I always have been Larry I I hear things in in, people think his music is simple but Hodges had a, a command of the alto saxophone which uh, was very unique, like Paul Desmond in, in in the modern school. But but Johnny Hodges was a, a third stream uh, and um, uh, cool jazz uh, combined in with Ellington's music, and a, a, a wonderful interpreter of ballads. and And his technique, his ability to um, to gliss, to, to do glissandos, and to hold notes, and to Sing. I mean, he used the the alto saxophone as an extension of his of his voice.
0: Here is Johnny Hodges with the Duke Ellington Orchestra on Billy Strayhorn's classic "Passion Flower" from 1941. Such a beautiful mixture of a wonderfully classically structured composition by Billy Strayhorn, written for the Duke Ellington Orchestra and specifically for Johnny Hodges, with free-flowing jazz improvisation.
1: Uh, I, I think Ellington is, uh, is an ex- exponent of both cool and third stream um, music. It's classical jazz. This is brilliant music. Ellington wrote, and with Billy Strayhorn, you know, his sidekick for many years, they wrote some breathtaking, really wonderful music. And so, yeah, this is classical music in, in a jazz form. And I suspect it will be classical. A hundred years from today, when people, music scholars, look at, look at the music of the 20th century, they'll say, Ellington was classical.
0: Today's guest... Al Bags. Here's a question I asked Al related to rhythm and feel and how it distinguishes jazz from classical. A lot of people when talk about the distinction between classical and jazz they talk about the differences in rhythm of how jazz you know a jazz musician very focuses on a certain steadiness and a certain feel where you when you talk about feel to a classical musician frequently they don't know what you're talking about.
1: Well, this is this is a very uh, you know elastic subject, um, but um, I guess what we're talking about here is meter, rhythm, in classical jazz music, and most symphony players would let me just say this that most symphony players would throw down their instruments in sheer terror uh, if if a fox trotted across the uh, Across the stage as they performed a Beethoven passage, Um, you know that said much. Early jazz music had its um, rhythmic foundations in uh, what I would call cheesy uh, four beats to the bar, uh, popular dancer tunes uh, that were designated peculiarly as foxtrots or as quick steps. Now indeed uh, many old jazz artists and you'll know this uh, uh, sort of cut their teeth uh, playing frenzied or uh, or even lyrical solos to to foxtrots quick steps and marches and all-time waltzes classical players in fact do handle uh, the uh, very nicely the foxtrot um, and quick steps in the scores they they perform but generally they use rather more respectable descriptions uh, such as allegro for a brisk foxtrot or uh, presto for a quick step Um, you know, however despite the proficiency of of, uh, classical players in delivering a foxtrot I very much doubt whether audiences actually have the desire, let alone the agility, uh, to jump up and swing to the likes of Volzak's, um Slavonic dance in A major. Um, with, with its two strong beats to the bar at Allegro Vivaci, um, never mind the multitudes of concert goers; uh, this Wojciak piece would be a tall or even for a fox Uh, who's been trained in tap dancing
0: so Al, what would be an example of something we could play that would kind of make that come alive for the people listening the point about
1: classical and and rhythmic uh, uh, you know, the rhythmicity of of classical and and jazz I refer to Ravel which is the the five o'clock foxtrot Um, classical players can handle that very well indeed I mean, it's a foxtrot Uh, Ravel said so himself you know and who's to dispute Ravel you know if he says it's a foxtrot it's a foxtrot the classical boys deal with it very nicely
0: Well, to say that jazz people understand feel and classical
1: people don't is very much a simplification. Oh, a vast oversimplification. I mean, you watch any classical orchestra; these guys and girls are, are feeling every, every, every nuance of the music, and, and jazz people do too, but in their own, in their own way. Um, you know, generally speaking, classical musicians who. Uh, who may well beat it to the nearest bar if they've fouled up on, on Beethoven's Pastoral or something like that. It, you know, they're faced in any given concert performance with, with more time signature and tempo surprises than jazz musicians. Um, but as jazz orchestration morphs, um, things may change. In fact, they, they change all the time. Um, and, and here's an important point on this, that... Jazz improvis- improvisers thrive creatively on rhythmic certainty. Okay, um, they don't like it when drummers, for example, take the law into their own hands and and start playing uh, nine eight time um, while they, as a soloist, are, are are trying to be creative and say four four or three four. Jazz musicians like to play. I got rhythm. Um, but classical players are a shade less boastful, I think. Um, they like, ja- like jazz artists. They, they, they've got rhythm and, and they cope with syncopation very well. But they come across many complex and alternating, as we've discussed, time signatures and, and, abs- and uh, the, um, rhythmic absolutes. Um, time signature absolutes in in works they perform, and by absolute I mean, you know, they have to be ra- absolutely right in their execution. Um, Until jazz evolves to be um, highly orchestral, which may occur throughout the twenty first century, I suspect it will, but who knows? Um, jazz players really won't face the the same metric challenges as as uh, their serious music. Uh, um, compadres, but um, jazz drummers, on the other hand, and they're, they're a breed apart, uh, they all seem to be ahead of the pack. Um, they seem fearless in launching themselves into deep, uh, mind-blowing, ad-lib, rhythmic space during their solos.
0: Now, speaking of the complexity of the rhythmic variations of a great jazz drummer, it gives me an opportunity to play something that features Claude Ranger, a Montreal drummer who mysteriously disappeared in the year 2000. This is from a Doctor Music album in the mid 1970s. I don't have time to play it all, but here is Tickle featuring Claude Ranger, trying to figure out what he is doing rhythmically. May require a degree in mathematics. Let's give a listen. One, two, two, two. <laughs> Dranger, composer and drummer with Dr. Music, which includes Don Thompson on bass, Doug Riley keyboards, Bruce Cassidy on trumpet, and a few other musicians. Let's hear some classical music that has been influenced by jazz. Here is more from Al Baggs. You can hear Al play his mean baritone saxophone, as well as other instruments, most Thursday nights at the Black Horse Pub in Peterborough, where he plays with pianist Rob Phillips and his jazz combo. And here is a beautiful melding of not just the music, but the spirit of jazz and classical, as Al talks about Stravinsky.
1: Stravinsky, in my view, wrote classical music as jazz. He was very angular and very... and and very rhythmic and you know Stravinsky's ballet that's his dance music I mean he was noted for ballet of course which is dance you know it's really riveting Um, the dance in finale in in the firebird Um, uh, the dance of the earth and, and the sacrificial dance in the rite of spring um they're, they're orchestral masterpieces but they're also, you know, this is dance, it's it's um, at a high level and um, I'm sure there are musicians somewhere out there who'd be delighted to perform their own version of the pagan uh, sacrificial dance at the local jazz hothouse, <laughs> uh, you know, with solo spots for the drummer and the trumpeter, um, a large sacrificial beer. And a meal of Stravinsky. What more could discerning uh, pagan jazz fans uh, possibly wish for, you know?
0: All right, Al, from Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring, here is the London Philharmonic performing a piece called Sacrificial Dance. <laughs> Now let's hear some jazz that has been taken directly from classical. CBC radio listeners may be very familiar with this recording, as it was for many years the extra to As It Happens. Mo Kaufman and his arrangement of the Allegro of a box Sonata, which he calls Cough Drops. Here it is. Let's explore, with the help of Al Bags, how the tunes we hear in jazz have been influenced
1: by classical. In considering the emergence of, of this, this um, jazz influenced by classical music, you can't forget that many of the great composers of the twentieth 20th, 20th century, popular movie and show music uh, composers and arrangers, were highly classically exposed in 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 their development um you know i'm thinking here of the immensely talented richard rogers who actually went to the what was the forerunner of the juilliard school in new york and then teamed up with hammerstein and people like that um Hart, uh, uh cole porter uh, nelson riddle who's arranging is gorgeous i mean a brilliant arranger trombonist uh, you know a, a great arranger uh, Henry Mancini whose who scores uh, movie scores are as cool as It gets sometimes and hot. Quincy Jones, I mean, Harold Harlan, I mean, uh, Lawrence Hart, Jerome Kern, uh, Kern I loved. This
0: leads us nicely into playing some Charlie Parker, playing a composition by one of those classically trained composers. Charlie
1: Parker, who wasn't exactly, no, he was definitely not classically trained. Parker did an album with classically educated string musicians um, and the sparks just positively flew. Um, from both musical streams, the the jazz in Parker and the the classics uh, in the string players, you know they were tutti together. You know, April in Paris, which was uh, 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 composed by a friend of Prokofiev and uh, a, a Kiev University uh, uh, graduate named Vladimir Dukelsky. Uh, what's he got to do with Paris? Well, uh, Dukelsky uh, not only wrote pop songs, uh, but also oratorios and ballets. And uh, Prokofiev reckoned that um, Dukelsky, who changed his name to Vernon Duke, which is a name you'll remember, uh, after Dukelsky migrated to the to the, to the states. Um, anyway, Prokofiev was saying that. Uh, Dukelski or Vernon Duke had amazing uh, melodic and harmon- harmonic creativity and um, and so too did the largely self-taught Parker um, who's soaring uh, bird-like everyone calls it bird, uh, but the bird-like virtuosity uh, on uh, uh, Vernon Duke or Dukalski's April in Paris is a is a is a nice sonic treat for classical and jazz ears. Um, so you might like to play listeners uh, April in Paris with the uh, Charlie Parker and strings. <laughs> But thinking very generally, it seems to me that the, the universe of serious music is characterised by many, many more elements of unpredictability, of surprise, than jazz. Uh, and I'm sure this accounts for the, the deep respect of jazz players and performers, you performers know, for the classics and, and why they listen hard uh, for inspiration. But um, I'm not suggesting here that jazz compositions are such... Uh, are lacking in musical qualities uh, that can endure popularity's tests of time, you know, um, that jazz musicians are are limited in their conceptual boundaries, uh, that great jazz performances don't move audiences. I'm not suggesting that. Uh, Far from it. You know, Ellington's jazz compositions we talked about, they're just remarkable. Um, But we all sense the differences between classical and jazz, even if we, we can't articulate them. And, um, you know, in his Music Instinct book, Philip Ball uh, talks about the fundamental pitch soundscape. This is an interesting concept. Uh, for most jazz and and, and a lot of uh, popular music, um, that pitch soundscape is the blues scale. You know, in C, it's uh, C, E flat, uh, F, G flat, G, B flat, uh, whatever the key, you, you transpose it. Um, although generally individual classical works may, they may not have fundamental pitch soundscapes if we actually listen to them very carefully um, I'm going to use an example here uh, is is uh, the first movement of Borzak's of, um, of New World Symphony in E minor uses the keys um, E minor B uh, C a flat and E minor as pitch soundscapes so it's not just one it's it's a variety of pitch soundscapes and it would be foolish to, to suggest that, that somewhere within these four pitch soundscapes uh, variants that are chosen by, by Bourget, there there lurks something akin to a common denominator that is found in jazz I mean a pitch soundscape constant that's unique to the um, ubiquitous uh, ubiquitous within classical music uh, a kind of mysterious rivals to, to jazz uh, this is all very esoteric I know but it's, there's no constant like we, we see in jazz um, of course like Vorjak uh, jazz musicians do use various pitch soundscapes keys, chords I mean, by definition you know, for, for doing songs and other compositions but they don't they, they soon start to lose their credibility I think that's the point I'm trying to make here as jazz musicians if they stray too far from fundamental blues pitch roots or soundscapes uh, in other words at least until recent times the blues has been considered um, as deserving at least a passing mention in every jazz solo We hear this at the pub. We hear this anywhere. You'll hear the blues being jazz playing. You'll hear blue notes somewhere. Why did they call a record label blue note? You (laughs) You
0: know, Al makes great points. And at some point, I look forward to having a debate with him on that. But first, I'm going to take some time to listen to some of my favorite jazz solos and see if there really are blue notes in most of them and whether all those solos truly are infected with what Al calls the blues virus. My sense is that the mindsets of the jazz musician and classical musician are equally complex, but also very different. And the performance brains are even more dramatically different from each other. In jazz, performance and composition are very much as one. By definition, since the jazz musician is creating the music she or he plays... In classical or concert music, the goal is to make them as one. I'm not so sure Al would disagree with me here. There's a nice illustration of the different mindsets between the classical and jazz musician, two selections that Al gave me. Let's hear him talk about the first one.
1: Now, you know, Shostakovich, uh, probably the the greatest composer and orchestrator of, of the 20th century, scored a wonderfully melodic Russian improvement and I use that in quotes um, of an equally uh, melodic American uh, jazz foxtrot by Vincent Yeomans um, T for two Shostakovich politely called his quotes Russian improvement uh, Tahiti trot suite number one for jazz orchestra
0: Shostakovich's Tahiti Trot based on T for Two, which Shostakovich called the Russian improvement of that particular tune. Well, I'm going to end off with a jazz version of T for Two. We might call it the Jazz Improvement by Jerry Mulligan and Chet Baker. But I want to thank Al Baggs for talking so intelligently and with such great humor and giving such fine, such a such a finely entertaining lecture, I think, about the cross-pollination of classical and jazz. And we'll hear more from him in future episodes, at least through the Discovering Jazz podcast, and maybe next year on CFFF Trent Radio in Peterborough. This is Larry Sadman saying bye for now inviting you to tune in next week when I will take you on a walking tour of Peterborough's International Jazz Day, April 28th and 29th. Going to each of the four restaurants to hear great jazz, the Sunday afternoon workshop, the cocktail hour, and the feature concert at Market Hall where New York comes to Peterborough. Next week, same time, discovering jazz. Here's Jerry Mulligan and Chet Baker.
2: Oh, Thank you.
0: York comes to Peterborough. April 29th, International Jazz Day presents Juno Award-winning bassist, singer, and composer Brandy Disterheft. Originally from Vancouver, now living in New York, she brings with her three outstanding New York musicians. Saxophonist Vincent Herring, pianist Alex Manassian, and drummer Carmen Intore. It all takes place at Market Hall. Tickets available through markethall.org. All proceeds go to support jazz in Peterborough. That's Sunday, April 29th. Brandy Disterheft, part of the many celebrations of International Jazz Day Weekend. You
2: appeared one day.